Amen. Am I unmuted? Good morning. Hello, hello, hello. We're good? All right, whatever. Good morning. Hello, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Glad you're here. If you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn or tap your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we start today a new series on what I think is a critical subject. It's certainly a subject that a lot of us get wrong. It's certainly a subject a lot of us have kind of drunk in the cultural sort of understanding of such that the biblical understanding seems kind of odd. It's a question that comes up a lot in like college ministry. It's a question that comes up a lot in like regular life ministry when people get into their 40s and 50s and have that kind of midlife crisis moment. It's the question, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? You say that in college. In the midlife crisis, you say, what have I done with my life? (laughs) It's got a little bit of a different sort of panicky note to it. But yeah, it's a question that we should ask. I want you to be asking it clearly if you're going through our Experiencing God system that we're doing with our community groups because, oh my gosh, it's a perfect study to kind of ask that question and think through it carefully. But I need us to be thinking well about it, and there's a million reasons why. But again, it's just something that culturally we don't think of biblically. We don't have the right idea about it. A lot of times we ask that question about what the perfect job is for us. And culturally, you kind of have that idea. we got so many options that it's really on you to figure out. What is the job that's going to really make my life sing? What's the sort of chef's table job? It was a show on Netflix called Chef's Table. My wife and I got real into it. We watched all of them. And every episode, it's real arty, and it's a documentary about a chef that's about an hour. But each documentary isn't really about the food. It's about the sort of story of the person, and that's what's very compelling about it. Because each of these people are kind of misfit-type people. Ken and Danny can tell you about the food industry. They start off as kind of misfit-type people, maybe. And then they sort of like find their lane, and all of a sudden... And maybe the story is that they found their lane and they were like working away like a monk for like 20 years and then the world sort of found them. Maybe it's that they found their lane and all of a sudden things started to sing and the Times came and did a review and all of a sudden, you know, their Michelin starred. But, but the concept, I think, is what culturally many of us are looking for with a job. It's the idea that there's something in me that's beautiful, that's perfect. There's a function that I do that nobody else in the world can do. And I just need to find that one industry and then that one sort of lane within that industry that will allow me to, like, blossom, that will allow the world to finally get it. And then I'll be very well compensated and very well respected. Like, then I'll finally get that thing, that thing where I'm secure and I'm, and I'm satisfied and I'm impressive. And I've got it figured out. I know that that job's there. Where is it? Then we kind of take that concept into the church. We baptize it a little bit. And we assume that this holy God isn't maybe necessarily concerned with his holiness. He's much more concerned with helping me figure out that perfect job that the world's been promising me. And the reason I went to college and got all this debt. And God, what do you want me to do with my life? Thinly veiled, God, how are, when are you going to give me that job? Well, okay, maybe not the most biblical way to ask that question. Not what I think all of us 
as a people within the church. And again, some of you are Christians, some of you are not. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says about this topic. How are we supposed to engage the question of what we do with our lives? That's where I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Chapter 7 seems to be all over the place. We can talk about that in a second. But here's the verse I want us to zero in on. Verse 17. So do you have your scriptures? We're good? Again, if you don't have them, don't panic. We'll have the words on the screen for you. And we'd love to give you a copy of the scriptures on your way out. But here's what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. It's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church that he planted in a place called Corinth 2,000 years ago. And he says... Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He uses two words there, and he's describing something incredibly important. He's talking about your life. We say job, I mean, understand that we're, expo- we're, we're expanding that concept out beyond nine to five. You know, you're stay-at-home mom, dad, you've you got the kids, you've got this project, you've got this concept, you've got three or four things, you're working together, you're a digital nomad, you're a whatever. You're calling, because that's the wording he uses here. You're calling. What he has assigned you to, what he has called you to. That word calling has a lot of weight to it. The idea is vocation. Vocation is just the Latin for that word. It it means that somebody has called you, somebody with authority, and we're going to use capital S somebody because we've got Christianity here. So we're talking about God. God has called you, someone has called you to a thing, to do a thing that serves everybody. There's a work that you're called to do that's beyond yourself. You can already see how we're totally at odds with the cultural understanding of a job. And yet, how it's already something that we as humanity realize we need. Have you ever been to kind of a hipster restaurant and seen the big mission statement on the wall? Do you ever watch television? Yes, of course. Okay, the ads for all of these places now, they don't just say our product works. They always give you why this product is changing the world. Why? Because we know we need meaning. Hey, you got a lot of options. You don't just have to be, it's not like medieval times or whatever, where dad's, you know, a barrel maker. So, you know, I guess me and all my kids for a million generations are going to be barrel makers. No, you got a million options. And because you got a million options, then you start to say, well, let me sift these options, not just based on the amount I can get paid to do these things, but also on the meaning, also on the importance of this job. God's saying he's calling you to something that will impact the world, that will allow you to serve all. But even outside the church, we have this idea that that our job should have meaning to it. That's why you get mission statements. That's why you get these ads where they say, we're not just a blank company. We're changing the world with hamburgers or Buicks or bundling your home and auto insurance policies. Wow! You know, they're changing the way that, whatever. Meaning. 
They use these kind of capital M meaning sort of sentences to describe, you know, there's just sort of huckstering to get your money. (laughs) But we get it because we all feel that need, that desire, that calling, or at least the desire to be called to our work. But I think that's our disconnect. As Christians, we talk about calling a lot. And you've got, you've got categories that are already built out for this. If you've been around the church, if you've been around the scriptures, you know that you're called to salvation. It says in Romans that God, uh, it says, for those whom he, meaning God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Do you see that word? Got it? Okay. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's a golden chain of salvation there. Oh, so beautiful. And the word call is in there. That's something that we have as a category for what God has called us to. He's called us to salvation. We make that offer to people all the time in the hopes that they'll receive this calling from God to be his to be adopted as his own. We can't overemphasize that enough. That's right when we understand our calling. But it's not just being called to salvation. We're also called to bring people to salvation. That makes sense as well. You've got the big great commission from Jesus, which is like the big kind of flashing light version, but it's all over the New Testament. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Whoa, heavy, lot there. When you kind of just sort of say, what did you hear from that verse? You understand you've been called to bring his glory to the world, to tell other people about what he's done, about that salvation that's there, what, what Jesus did. You're a Jesus follower. You talk about Jesus to people, okay? Then, if that calling to salvation, that calling to the work that he's given all of his church to make his excellency known to the world and to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all the nations, we also understand that we're called to a church, Now, this one is a little bit harder. Maybe you don't know this. Being a Christian is not an individual pursuit. Never has been. The word church in the Greek is ekklesia. It just means group of called out ones. You're not just called out to to just a personal relationship with God where then you sort of define God the way that you kind of want to and then he's just really focused on you and you're just really focused on you and you're going to go about your world. No, no. No, he calls you to a people. He calls you to a church. We can fight about that later. But what about your job job? You know, we talk about this and you go, yeah, 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 yeah. Calling, calling, Jesus, Jesus, Christianity, Christianity. But that's just really Sunday. You know, maybe the odd Friday night where we've ginned up the courage and we invited somebody that doesn't know Jesus and we're going to talk to him about it. Maybe that's when you think about these things. You know, maybe it's when the kid wakes up with a nightmare and you got to tell them that Jesus loves them so they'll go back to sleep. Then you need this stuff. But what about the, the Monday to Friday? 
What about the endless spreadsheets? What about the endless changing of bedsheets? See what I did? It's called a rhetorical flourish. <laughs> we got to highlight them when they happen. They're infrequent. What about the day-to-day? That's why we've called this series Sacred Calling. Never just a job. It's a little wordy, but we're trying to get across this concept. Are you called to be whatever you are? That's way more interesting of a question. Not really. I mean, salvation is way more interesting. But this is also extremely interesting because it's your Monday to Friday. It's your real sort of purpose. Are you called to be where you are right now? Let's go back to our main verse for today, 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. If you read around this passage, I hope you will later today, if you go through 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and get a kind of feel for the argument that he's making, you'll see that he brings up a lot of different stuff, and it's kind of hard to figure out why he would bring up this subject and then this subject, and then it seems like out of nowhere, this subject. It feels kind of like a hat on a hat. You're not sure why these things are put together. Well, actually, this verse 17 kind of shows you. He starts talking about, in one point, divorce and marriage and celibacy. The states in which you may have been maritally or non-maritally when you came to know Jesus. Then he's also talking about whether you were a slave or free when you came to know Jesus. My marriage life and my job life don't seem to be topics that connect. And then, again, just the Bible does this constantly. Starts talking about circumcision and uncircumcision and you're kind of bummed out by it, and you don't really want to talk about it, and the Bible just keeps bringing it up. <laughs> if you just go through and read it in the course of a year, you'll notice it's, it's a topic. But he starts bringing up circumcision and uncircumcision, which again, not only am I not sure why they ever talk about that ever, I'm not sure why that would connect with my marriage status or my job status. But the pen that holds all three of these together is this verse which is saying, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. A book I would love to suggest to you if you're one of our reader types that will underline a lot of the concepts we're getting into in this series is called Every Good Endeavor by a guy named Tim Keller. That church that he helped to lead in New York for a long time, they do a lot of stuff when it comes to understanding your work, how your work impacts your life. They had a whole center. You know, I don't know what that means. Maybe it's a person and a secretary. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's thousands of people. I don't know. But they had this whole center that was dedicated to studying this concept. Every good endeavor, Tim Keller. And he says, based on this verse, the implication is clear. Just as God equips Christians for building up the body of Christ, so he also equips all people with talents and gifts for various kinds of work for the purpose of building up the human community. And that's not Tim going out on a limb to try and say, hey, you know, don't worry about it. Keep working because we need those ties. (laughs) No. He is using, in this statement, titans of the faith from the last 2,000 years plus Scripture to say what God has always been saying about work. 
you and I, because of the right emphasis on salvation and evangelism, you and I have given a premium to certain church jobs. Those are the things that God really wants us to be doing. And then, and again, this is something that's happened through church history, God forgive us. We take every other possible job and we put it down a level. So that if you do anything other than full-time ministry and evangelism, you see yourself as somehow less than. Historically, they broke it into two words. They talked about the sacred and the secular. And if you had the mental capacity, if you had the discipline to try for that sacred path, whoa, definitely do it because that's the favorites. And then there's just kind of the rest of us. Well, that's not what he's saying. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what God's saying. He's saying to continue in the life in which you're called, the principle that's there, and this comes from a um, commentator on the passage, the principle that's there is that God is illustrating that there is no earthly status that is incompatible with the Christian's calling by God. No earthly status is incompatible with the Christian's calling by God. That's why Paul can say to you, remain where you are when you came to know Christ. He can use you. He wants to use you right there. There's qualifications. You know, it doesn't mean you stay married, stay divorced, stay celibate. There's things that happen when it comes to those different categories. There's wisdom there. It doesn't mean, I mean, the circumcision, uncircumcision, again, let's put that on a shelf. But when you think about slave and free, yeah, you know, if you can get your freedom, do it. Go for it. But being a slave does not exempt you. It doesn't somehow pull you out. It doesn't somehow reduce you in what you can do, not just for the kingdom, but for God. You know, we talk about the kingdom, and again, we all put stuff in this sacred shelf, this upper story that, that only here is where the kingdom is. But no, God has been doing incredible stuff way well alongside of. Oh, it's not that the word kingdom is too small. It's that our understanding of kingdom is too small. He's got something way bigger involved. And you've got to understand this. That's why we'll spend several weeks on it. You've got to see this. What he's saying is that you really do, you really, really do get to follow in his footsteps and do his work when you just work. God did make the world good. It fell. But he made the world good. And when it was good, when he first made it and it's perfect and he looked at it and said, it's good. And he put the people in it and he said, it's very good. When that was happening, work was all over the place. You know, he, he just created by speaking, and we can think theologically about whether he had to expend effort or not. I don't know. But he was modeling for us work. Before the fall, before things got haywire, he was modeling for us work. When Adam and Eve were created, he put them, before they fell, into the garden and told them to keep it. That means God and our first parents started the world with gardening. Hand, like, getting dirty labor. God comes in the person of Christ, and what does he do? The Greeks would have put him on this um, pedestal as a philosopher. That would have been the highest thing that he could possibly do. The Romans would have put him up as a statesman. That political career, that would have been the highest thing he could possibly do. 
But what does God have him do? And you say, well, itinerant ministry. He was a pastor. And then all of a sudden, again, we start bringing in these secular sacred categories the Bible doesn't have. No! For 30 years of his life, he was a builder. He was a blue-collar, work-with-his-hands dude. And he wasn't sinning when he did that. He was honoring God. He was worshiping when he was laying brick for God's glory. We've got, we've got to figure this out. We've got to see this. Otherwise, we're going to have that constant pining inside of us for something more important or more impressive. Stealing all of your joy, undercutting any kind of real productivity that you have in the job you're in because you're pining, you're wishing, you're hoping for something more, something more impressive, something more secure, something more financially, uh, you know, uh, flush. I don't know. There's a constant boredom that comes or a despair that comes with the just grind of Monday through Friday because it just doesn't seem to have any meaning whatsoever other than what it can give you in the way of importance, what it can give you in the way of kind of a nice moment at the uh, high school reunion when you get to tell people what you do. I don't know how many people go to high school reunions. People like live everywhere now. Maybe they don't fly back for those like they used to, but that's kind of a thing you think. Embarrassing, maybe. But you think, like, do I want that job or that job? Which one do I want to tell my aunt I do? I have one aunt. She doesn't call me Ben. She always calls me Benjamin, and she asks me to wash my hands a lot. She's that kind of an aunt. I like being able to tell her I do something that I consider impressive. I want to go back at 20-year reunion and be able to say things like real casually, right, because you imagine it that way. You don't imagine walking in and just declaring you went to law school. Like you want to just sort of throw that out there. Oh, how's life? How are things in your family? And they ask you back and you're like, well, you know, after Harvard we had to. uh..." That's how you want to say it. And then you're just going to go home and just savor, just enjoy it, right? Gross. Gross. We don't want that to be true, but is it a little bit? And does that desire at the heart of it create in you a pining, a boredom? Does it create in you this this idea that you're working and you're waiting to just try and get away from work to do the things that really are going to make you happy? How many Dodge Sprinter vans and and, uh, Mercedes, like big kind of tall vans have you seen over the last five years? A lot, right? They're everywhere. Why? Because you can just write code and go do it in like, you know, a state park or go do it in like Canada or wherever these people go in these vans. They're going and trying to use work to go and fulfill themselves in this other thing, whatever this grand adventure is. Is that you? Believer? You know, do we baptize it in like, you know, this is God's creation. I want to go and see him and his beauty. Yeah, okay, sure. But is your work somehow less than because all it does is facilitate these moments when you get to leave? (laughs) No, 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 no. We're Christians. We believe that we serve a good God who is all wise. Far apart from all the stuff about his own example to us, which hopefully we'll get to through this series. He's just not dumb enough to make you spin your wheels for 50 hours a week. Why would that be the system? We have that idea that like we can do some Christian stuff in the margins or we go and do work so that we can give some money so we can have some people be full-time doing that Christian stuff. But really what I do 
has nothing to do with God. Really? What kind of management would that be from the Father? Let's put away that blasphemy. He has work for you to do as a lawyer, as a baker, as a bus driver, as a mom, as an architect, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a. What you do is on purpose. He's called you to a grand adventure. And I want to equip you for that. Biblically, I want to give you something the world can't give you because it just doesn't understand it. There's a guy named Francis Schaeffer. And, you know, he's a little hard to access. He was a guy that was in, like, Switzerland. He was a big deal in, like, the 60s and 70s. And um, he's an American guy who was a minister, some kind of evangelist, and he lived, like, out in Switzerland. And then he just sort of took on the mountain Swiss farmer garb and never took it off. So he, he made this book and then this... Um, digital DVD sort of series about the book called How Should We Then Live? Great resource. But if you watch the DVD, you know, it's kind of funny because he wears his like Swiss farmer garb in it. He's got like high pants that end about here and he's got socks that come up over and he's got like this big sort of woolly jacket and he's got a weird sort of chin beard. But what he's saying is spectacular. He's an unbelievably brilliant man who's read all kinds of different stuff, and he puts in very neat little packages the story of human sort of intellectual development from the Roman times to today in very accessible little packages. And he says something about Roman times when Christianity first comes into the world and starts to really explode that I think sounds a lot like our day today. The reason I need you to understand this is that the Christian understanding, according to Schaefer, but the Christian understanding of who God is allowed them to work with a verve, with a joy, with a desire, with a purpose to rebuild the world, not just with their evangelism. It's not less than that. It's that and that the Roman world couldn't grasp, it couldn't understand. People that were just after their own ends couldn't, couldn't emulate such that the Roman Empire just collapses. This is what he says about it. Rome did not fall because of external forces such as the invasions by the barbarians. That's the kind of book story. There's this sort of corruption at the top and people aren't able to kind of keep things put together and then all of a sudden the, our ancestors probably, well, I say probably, my, my family has done some level of understanding of our family. I just saw a thing about our people going back and they're just not really sure who our family Hileys were going back in Germany because, like, apparently they just changed spellings willy-nilly and just, <laughs> which I get. I've, I have inherited that same kind of compulsion. So we don't really know what our ancestors were, but our family, my family's ancestors were probably these barbarians. We weren't, like, you know, like togas and quaffed. We were probably, like, muddy and screaming. But the barbarians come into Rome, invasion, 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 and we have this idea that it just slowly kind of falls apart. Schaefer says, no, no. Rome had no sufficient inward base. The barbarians only completed the breakdown, and Rome gradually became a ruin. Look at the numbers. Do people want to work in America? Read that book, Every Good Endeavor. He talks about this same idea. Once upon a time, people were really excited to do what it was they were going to do. Now, people don't want to be social workers they want to be lawyers and investment bankers. Now they want tech jobs. Why? Because you can write code wherever you want. 
from your living room, from a coffee shop, or maybe from a mountain peak somewhere in your cool Dodge Sprinter van. Why? It's not about the work. It's about this sort of engagement and self-fulfillment that can never bear satisfying fruit. That's why we need the Christians to come in and say, no, here's what work really is. This is why we need you to invest heavily in understanding gospel content for why you're called to do what you're called to do. And to see that your job right now is not just a job, it's never just a job that God has this wide, wild, wonderful concept for what you're going to do with your dead end, hate it, just wish you could change job. Here's how I get there. There's a million different ways to get there, but, but this 1 Corinthians passage is saying this is what you were called to. It's what you're assigned to. It doesn't mean you'll be there forever. As you understand these concepts more, maybe you'll see that, no, in fact, you have a fancy job that you don't need. And in fact, you need to be doing this other, maybe slightly less paid and less well-regarded, but much more useful occupation. Awesome! But the biblical principles that we're going to talk about mean that you don't have to change your job. Not that you shouldn't, maybe you should, but you don't have to. It's possible, theoretically, and there's a couple of jobs. It's possible, theoretically, for God to be using you in your job right now to build his kingdom. And it's not less than evangelism. It's that and. And again, caveat, you know, if you're a pornographer and prostitution, you assassinate people, drug production, sure, Those are not jobs that God's going to, like, redeem and use you in and stay where you're called. No, of course not. Get out of the assassination business. I don't know how it's going right now. Maybe it's on an upturn, maybe maybe not. I don't know. Get out of the assassination business. That's not an okay one. But for the vast majority of jobs that don't depend on things that God hates, he can use you. And just as a tidbit, Luther talks about how God has many masks He's working through many people in order to give the sacred calling to the milkmaid. And it's not the sacred calling that she would become a nun. It's the sacred calling that she'd keep milking the cows. That's what we got to get to. How are we going to do it? Jesus is so clear. He talks about himself in John 5 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. There's a thousand ways that he's talking about himself and not us. But there's an essential way in which us who are found in him are called to that same practice of just doing what dad does. Our God feeds the cattle on a thousand hills. Our God makes a way for us to breathe and be healthy and enjoy life and somehow live in this world of fallenness. Us, as his people, are called to facilitate that same life, that same growth, that same possibility. Until one day when he redeems it all. So, will you just hang out for this series? A couple more weeks? To ask the question very seriously and maybe even very slowly about how God can use what you do right now. For his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask you that you would do exactly that, that you would give us an interest in studying the Scriptures in order to be a corrective in our community at Hope Church, to be a corrective through Hope Church to the community of Salt Lake City, Lord. 
Maybe even, Father, if you would give us an even wider scope, that we would be a corrective more broadly than that, that people would come to know that there is possible a meaning and a joy even in what seems like menial labor because you're that good of a God. Lord, please redeem the concept of work. Don't let the enemy have this stronghold over 60, 50, 60 hours of our week, Lord. Allow us to see that that's yours. You've claimed it. You love it. And you can make something really wonderful through it. Pray that you do this, Lord, for your glory and our good. In your holy name we pray. Amen.